Hello, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, just published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. What makes them tick? In this episode, I talk with my old friend and longtime client, John Morrison, who is president of Wabco for the Americas. John and I talked about the challenges of leading in a complex, global, matrixed organization. I am thrilled to welcome here John Morrison, uh, a longtime client, and, and I dare say a true friend uh, a man whom I have come to respect and from whom I've learned a tremendous amount over the years. I have watched John Morrison climb from senior executive position to higher senior executive position to higher senior executive position in matrixed organizations where there is so much complexity. Uh, let me get his introduction right. John Morrison was appointed president of Wabco for the Americas in June 2015. Prior to his current role, he served as President North America for American Axle and Manufacturing since November 2014. Before then, he held the position of Vice President Vehicle Dynamics and Controls with Wabco. From 2006 through 2014, Morrison served as President and General Manager of Meritor Wabco, the joint venture between Meritor and Wabco. That's when I got to know John. His 30-year career includes responsibilities in finance, manufacturing, sales and marketing, engineering, as well as managing global customer relationships. Uh, and John Morrison, I got to say, everywhere uh, I've ever managed to see him in action, he has made himself legendary. When I think about go-to people, these indispensables, who I, I'm trying to prove are real human beings in the real world, uh, John is, is high on that list. So welcome, John, and thank you for uh, joining as a guest. No, thank you, Bruce, and really thank you for the kind introduction. Um, I listened to all that, and it's a little overwhelming, uh, but, uh, but I do appreciate it and, and uh, looking forward to our conversation today. I want to cut right to the matrixed organization because uh, I learned so much about what happens in matrixed organizations from, from working for you. Uh, as a consultant, can you explain what is a matrixed organization and, and what's great about it and then what's complicated about it? Well, um, as you know, I've worked in matrix organizations for quite a long time. And I think that um, to describe a matrix organization, basically you generally have operational P&L uh, profit and loss pillars that go vertical through the organization. So you have key vectors that are driving profit and loss, whether that's by product line, by region, it really depends upon how the business is set up and, and what makes the most sense. And then on the, the right-hand side of the matrix, generally you'll have your functions. So you'll have your finance, your HR, your quality, engineering perhaps, uh, you know, depending again on what your objectives are, whether they're by product or by region, for example. And um, the idea behind the matrix organization is to gain efficiency. And often, I think many companies went to matrix organizations as we globalized, 
so that um, you were not creating redundant or similar types of organizations over and over again as you expanded throughout the globe or in different regions. It enabled us to take advantage of uh, common systems, uh, modern technology in terms of connectivity, and really drive a more efficient organization because everybody was really, and still is, squeezing for every dollar we could possibly get. And, it, and it's growing like crazy, right? I mean, I call it the collaboration revolution because I think senior executives and management experts and people who are trying to improve efficiency, that's, that's what they're doing, what you're describing. That's why they're right. doing it. Maybe you can explain how it reduces waste and improves uh, information transfer and uh, speeds up work. I mean, that's the idea, right? Right, right. So for example, uh, if you take a, a, a supporting process like human resources, in a past, in, in perhaps a vertically driven organization, you might have a different HR process in North America, a different one in South America, a different one in Europe that may even have their own supporting IT systems and things like that. Within the matrix organization, what you gain is uh, everyone is speaking one language, meaning that I have one you know, corporate global project management system, one corporate global HR system, one corporate global finance system. And while it's not perfect for every business or every region within the matrix, it's still overall for the whole company drives an efficiency and a commonization of standard, a standard language that enables you not to talk about, you know, hey, what's, you know, what do you use versus ours and reconciling and do this and that. Basically, everybody speaks the same language. We have the same tools. We have a certain standard. And I think that also improves quality at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, certainly it must pay off. You know, it's all about the bottom line for shareholders and uh, boards, so it must pay off. But but it it also drives people a tiny bit crazy. What is it that that's difficult about it? I, I think the main thing, uh, Bruce, is the fact that minimally you end up normally with two bosses, right? And I think most people by nature, you know, again, they want to have a just one thing to think about, one thing to do, and make it simple from that standpoint. And the complexity of a matrix organization is you'll have multiple uh, leaders coming at you. You might have a direct line leader, but you might have multiple dotted line leaders in some cases, at least one more that you have to pay attention to. And so from that standpoint, then it, it either is self-imposed or actual confusion or, or you know, perhaps uh, uh, competing priorities from the different quote unquote bosses that you have that um, number one, can make it easy for a person to hide in a matrix organization, but also, you know, can force people, I think, to put up defenses saying, well, I don't know what everybody wants me to do, so I can't do anything. And, and I've really focused a lot on accountabilities to make sure that no matter who's coming in from what part of the organization to talk to you about their priority and their stake as we're trying to run the matrix, that there's a clarity of what, how I contribute, what I need to do, how I need to respond to that. And the more we can clarify that, then I think, you know, the better the matrix runs and the better the and more efficient it is. Yeah. So of course, if, you know, because some people sitting in the middle of the organization would say, well, for John, it's easy. He's the boss, right? right. So, you know, he's always got the authority to make the decisions, but, but, but it sounds like the further down the chain of command is, I mean, I don't mean to say being the boss of a zillion dollar company is easy. But I just mean from the standpoint of managing these relationships, at the end of the day, it's up to you, right? But, but for somebody in the middle of the organization, uh, what they're facing is, right, they're just inundated by requests. 
so uh, there, there's this sense that I might be asked uh, XYZ by one person, ABC by another person, QRS by another person. And, and so all of a sudden I've got nine things to do and time to do four of them. What do I do? And I, and I think this is where um, perhaps some companies uh, might not spend enough time if you have a lot of that type of confusion. It, again, in terms of going back and talking to people about their individual accountability and the, the, the terminology that we used within WAPCO is, is, you know, I have a certain level of accountability and then there's super accountability. So there's things that I am associated with that I need to speak up about and keep an eye on but it's not my primary mission within the, the organization and what I'm really expected to execute and quite frankly, what my performance really gets measured on. So I might be associated with certain activities or certain requests or certain things, but I have a group of things that are more narrowly defined that what, you know, that's really what I'm expected to deliver and what connects to my KPIs. And I think the more we can get the organization to understand that um, both individually and within the management structure, that helps people uh, prioritize. It helps people make the right decisions at the right level. It, it reduces the amount of upward delegation. And I think those are the kinds of things that do help um, kind of deconstruct that self-imposed confusion when you have a lot of things going on you know, at one time. Because I think many, many companies, you know, they have good communication and collaboration processes. But at the end of the day, if I come in and I'm not super clear on what I need to really bring to the party, then I can end up either taking on too much and more than what I should, because I really don't know how to discern what I'm supposed to take or not, or I underperform in the sense that I'm, I'm too narrow in terms of that focus and I'm expecting somebody else to do something that's not going to get done. So it's, it's a challenge uh, for sure, but um, it, it's worth spending the time on because in the end, if I know these are my top three or four things that I'm gonna get measured on, these are the things I gotta keep in front of me all the time, but as a part of the company, as a leader in the company, for example, there are things that, that I'm associated with that I'm still obligated to um, try to connect people to or uh, be involved in myself for a little bit of time to make sure they get done. And, and I, I think the more you can do that and clarify that, the better off things are. The confusion gets reduced, I think, to a large extent. So there's, there's three things you said that I want to draw a bright line under. One is, um, it sounds like for you, clarity is the key to accountability yep and and uh and accountability goes both ways right because some people are overwhelmed and they start drowning in competing priorities um yep. and 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 they set themselves up for failure that way uh and then there's always the person who tells a i'm doing b and tells b i'm doing c and tells c i'm doing a and, and they say, where are they they're always in between one or the other right yes. um, and so you use the term KPI, which I want to make sure and define key performance indicators. Uh, and that means that um, that's what you're measured on, right? So right. if you know uh, my four main KPIs, my, my four main key performance indicators, then, then that's what rises to the top for me. And that's a source of yeah. clarity. Yes. Right. And it's also what you can, you know, if you're in the matrix, that's your negotiation point with the other stakeholders who are asking you say, hey, look, uh, I don't mind helping you, but I've got these things that I have to work on. These are my KPIs. I think that's a reasonable discussion in the sense that um, it can help manage, again, priority and, and clarity of, of mission. And uh, then I think your corresponding uh, colleagues then would understand that, uh, yes, that person certainly has to focus on those things, 
but they're able to help me with this and, and you know, we can add to the, to the load just because it doesn't really significantly impact my KPIs. Or if the organization is changing, I can go to my boss and I can say, hey, look, you know, I know I measured on these things, but here's really what is happening. Should my role change or should my key performance indicators change in a little bit different direction? Again, those are all very healthy discussions to enable uh, everyone in the organization to have a much more clear purpose uh, and clear vision on how they have to execute. Yeah, so it's, um, it's like an anchor. Um, yep. uh, those KPIs are an anchor and it may be a moving target, but that's okay. So yep. uh, then you have a, a new, a different clarity. That's right. No, that, that's absolutely right. And, and again, I think that's all fair. And, and I think it's also um, something that can be an ongoing conversation, not, not necessarily changing once a month. I think that portrays a little bit different issue, but, but, but certainly if, if structurally things are changing, being open to changing KPIs so that within the matrix, I, I really have a clarity of what I need to do. Um, and then I can be open to taking on more um, and, and doing more uh, versus just taking on everything that comes my way because I'm really not sure how in the end I'm gonna be measured and evaluated. Yeah, that's great. And, and so then uh, I also want to unpack a term you used because I think it's, it's important. Uh, you said that that reduces the amount of delegating up, which I take it is uh, uh, either going to your boss and saying, what do I do? Or, or somehow going over other people's heads, which, which happens a lot when there's a lack of clarity uh, in lines of authority and accountability, right? Yeah, and I think one of the things that, that a matrix organization can be prone to when there is a lack of clarity is that um, sometimes the upward delegation is just a function of no one really knows if that's their accountability. They don't really know if, that, if they're the one who is supposed to intervene, or they may know it, but yet they don't have the confidence level that they need in order to be able to execute it, and therefore problems you know, continue to rise up in the organization where all of a sudden it's a big crisis, and you know, you've got uh, the CEO and the president and the VPs all working on it, whereas something that really could have been handled at a much lower level of the organization much earlier. So it can work both ways, uh, but I think that it, it really, I think that's a, when you're running a matrix organization, I think a good key performance indicator for the total organization is how much of that do you have, right? And that indicates a, a level of uh, disconnect within the business that, you know, the more you can get people executing at a certain level and feeling confident uh, in executing at a certain level, generally speaking, many of the problems and issues that happen can be handled a lot earlier, uh, can be handled, you know, within the collaboration teams um, and uh, can be resolved before it really escalates. Not everything. And, and I think there's processes and things you can do and have to have in place for, for more difficult or major items. But, but, you know, many things that end up at the top shouldn't be there. Yeah, because it really collaboration and matrix organizations work a lot better. The idea is to push interaction down the chain of command, right? So that people are working things out at their own level. Right. Right. And, and what was interesting to me, we talk about collaboration and it's kind of a learning that, that, that I've had over the last few years because collaboration, I think, face value. People think they get together, they have a conversation, it's an open conversation, you know, in a big round table with some soft chairs and all this kind of stuff. But in the end, there's such an obligation when you collaborate to be prepared so you know what you're supposed to bring. And then you also know what you're supposed to take out of that collaboration and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to deliver to that team. And again, I hate to keep using the word clarity, but I, but I think that kind of a, of a clarity is very important in the sense that if I, if I need to get something done at, at my level of the organization 
if I'm fully prepared when I get together with a group of people and collaborate, and I also am clear when I leave there in terms of what I'm supposed to execute, and if everyone on that team has that same understanding, then I think you really can make big steps in your company and your group and your organization to really take advantage of what collaboration really should be. And, and that is, you know, uh, a group of people coming together, you know, with specific accountabilities and capabilities and skill sets and really have a focused uh, answer uh, that you can bring back to the team. I think that's true collaboration. Yeah, well, collaboration sounds maybe like, oh, are we all going to get together and do trust falls and then build a pyramid? <laughs> exactly. But in fact, right, I mean, what ends up happening, right, if you're able to push that level of uh, interaction, it's really... Uh, cooperation, coordination, communication, um, uh, passing batons back and forth. And, and the goal of a senior executive like you, uh, the, the, the boss's 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 boss, is to push that collaboration as far down the chain of command as possible so that people have the power to work across silos, right? To work across right. functions with each other. And, and my duty in my role, you know, at the top of the organization is to refuse to accept any upward delegation. And when I say any, I mean any non-essential upward delegation is, is if I engage in that, if I don't turn that back around to the people who need to do it, then again, um, you know, I, I am really harming the organization in the sense that the organization doesn't learn, uh, that, you know, uh, individual people don't have the opportunity to learn from failure and success, and that it drives a general inefficiency that I think, you know, is, it can be harmful to the organization. So that's also something that I spend a lot of time reflecting on is, is when I'm in meetings or, you know, when I'm invited to come or, you know, we're doing various activities, am I accepting more than what I should accept? And, and I think the, the title of your book being indispensable, that doesn't mean that you're the one person that knows everything and can make all the decisions. That's not really indispensable. That's more of an obstruction uh, in my view. Yeah. I mean, one of the funny things about that title, I will tell you uh, when, when we, First, uh, we're trying to figure out what's called a book. I hesitated because I thought there's not a single CEO I, I work for who wants anyone to be indispensable. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet it's what every individual wants to be indispensable. So, right, um, right. you know, what the, the, the idea is to have as many indispensable players, as many go-to people uh, as you can. And so I, I want to uh, explore what you're saying about, you know, refusing upward delegation. Uh, this is the sort of the, one of the mantras of the collaboration revolution is work things out at your own level, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, of course, it's sort of like telling the kids, you know, just go fight it out. But sometimes what happens, right, is that there's, there's conflicts that don't get worked out. Obviously, eventually they get escalated. But you have competing priorities. You have competing agendas, competing egos. And, and competing schedules. And of course, clarity uh, for each individual, KPIs, organizational priorities, and so on, marching orders from the top and ground rules. Um, this is what I call the vertical anchor, right? Uh, that makes right. it possible for people to work things out at their own level. What are the other things? I mean, when you were, before you were the boss's 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 boss, um, you wouldn't be where you are if you weren't good at working things out at your own level. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, clarity is one piece. What are the other tools that give you the power to work things out at your own level, even if you sure. don't have the authority to pull rank? 
the best way that I can articulate it, because I think if you remember, one of the organizations I ran was a 50-50 joint venture, meaning that no one really was obligated to do anything for us. I've really operated on a couple of different, you know, principles, if you will, and I'll express them this way. You know, one is give a little, get a little, um, in the sense that I, I think that there are times when you have a point and you have to stay on that point and you really can't deviate much from that point, but that's pretty rare. Most of the time when you're trying to get things done and you're trying to work with people and you know, whether that's a customer or a colleague, whatever, you have to think about making it you know, a win-win or making it a, a situation where it's not win-lose, I guess I would say it that way, right? Uh, somebody might get a little bit more than the other person did, but at the end of the day, it's not a win-lose. So when I say give a little, get a little, you have to think about what you can give up in order to be able to get what you need because I think that's a fair exchange. And you can call it negotiation, you can call it collaboration, but at the end of the day, every single interaction that I go into uh, with anyone, in, even today in the organization, no matter what level, I think about what is it that would really be motivating to them? What would, what would they be interested in? Sometimes I'll even ask them, um, you, know, what, what it, you know, what would that, how would that work for you? And if somehow I can construct that and I can get a track record with that person where they know where I'm coming with a, a hard ask or, you know, an issue and they know that I'll try to find a way to help them in some way, then I, it's made it much easier for me to be able to get things done for people who don't work for me, who aren't necessarily that invested in my success or, or my objectives, but yet they know that they can expect a fair trade. And it's not always 50-50, but you, you, you look at the long term as well. If I continue to invest in someone in that relationship in terms of give a little, get a little, you know, at some point in time, I may need a big ask and, and they may be more willing to give it to me uh, because I've given to them what I can over a period of time. Uh, so, so that's one of the things that, that I really rely on. The other one is some, what I call the deal. And the deal is basically uh, if you come to me and uh, you ask me for something, okay, and I can provide that to you, then I feel like it's very much within my uh, realm to be able to ask something of you. And so they're related, but um, you know, the deal is much more, I think, solid from the standpoint that, that it's, it's, it's directly tied to that specific request. And, and I think those are the kinds of things that really point towards the fact that if I am humble enough and I am open enough to be able to look at the world from your perspective, whether it's a, a peer, colleague, you know, manager relationship, whatever, then, then I think over time demonstrating that track record, people are much more willing to work with you because they know it's not going to be all or nothing. And I think that's helped me. And that's what I've tried to share with, with people throughout my career working in these types of organizations. You have to put yourself in a position where you can do that because that establishes the credibility that you have in terms of being a player who can not only take but can give and and uh, I can count on that person whether it's today tomorrow or sometime in the future. Yeah, I love that because what you're saying is on the one hand it sounds like you're saying well look of course you have to negotiate of course you have to give a little um you have to be willing to compromise but I but I really like your distinction between the track record of how you conduct yourself and what people get out of doing business with you. And then on a more acute level, the deal itself. Like, okay, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna have to work out terms. Because it's not about trust fall. 
friends, right? It's, right. it's, it's right. not, you know, of course we want to be able to trust each other. It's not about kumbaya. Of course we want peace, but, but it is business at the end of the day. It's the real world. So these relationships are transactional. Mm -hmm. um, what I love about that is that you're able to thread the needle. And I think you always have been. It's something that's really, uh, it took me a long time to try to understand it, but you managed to thread a needle transactional nature of these relationships and the longer game that it's not just a straight quid pro quo but it's also over time people learn when they do business with you things work out pretty well for everyone that makes them want to come back to you yeah and sometimes uh you know when i work with people who don't necessarily understand that concept um, you know, they're, they're kind of surprised because they're, they're, you're giving up way too much, John. You know, you really, you don't have to give that much. You're giving up way too much. And again, it's, it's, some of it is a bit of um, a risk in the sense of having, you know, trust and confidence in the person I'm dealing with. And they don't always work out well. I mean, you know, again, when you get, you know, when, when the deal doesn't work out, you know, you don't do it again. But, but, but still, I, I think you have to think creatively uh, both for today and the future. And I may do something today that somebody else might go, boy, you really don't have to do that. And, uh, but inside I'm saying, yes, I do, because I want that person to really understand how much I trust them to come back and bring their part of that uh, relationship back in some point in time, whether it's today, tomorrow, in the future, so we can help, help each other out. And so from that standpoint, I think that's the essence of when you operate in an environment like a matrix where it's very much relationship based, you build that house of trust in terms of your um, ability to get things done and do things for other people. That's how I found how to do it. And for me, it's worked out very well over the years. Yeah. And you say relationship based and, and there's a generosity that you're describing. Uh, you said before, um, trying to understand what somebody else wants or needs and then, uh, you know, there's something about being the person who helps somebody else meet their needs that makes them more invested in your success. It makes me want you to be more powerful, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and it makes me want to come back and do business with you. It, it's, it's so hard to get that across. And so I appreciate your describing it. In, in the book, I call it the peculiar mathematics of real influence. It's a long game. It's the long game yeah. of having that track record. Exactly, Bruce. And, and again, I think it's, you know, uh, but it's the part that I enjoy the most because ultimately, you know, uh, we're the business is about people. And, and I find that to be the most fascinating thing about, you know, being part of an organization and, and working with other people is, is just that, that human interaction. But again, I think it's a reality in the sense that that really also demonstrates that you respect your colleagues and your peers. And it's not just about me and it's about the work. It is about the work, and you say it's about people, it's about relationships. I think sometimes that leads people toward what I call false influence thinking. And so some people find themselves bullying or being bullied in the workplace because they think that's the way to influence. Um, some people end up ingratiating or uh, you know, trying to hook everything around being, being uh, friends, personal friends, and I think the reason they do that is because they keep hearing, well, it's all about relationships. But, but, but the way you're describing relationships, 
it's those relationships in the work are are not separate they're intertwined yeah they are and and again remembering that again it's a it's a different type of relationship right it's a working relationship which is different than a personal relationship and all that kind of stuff but it but it is based on respect and it is based on trust and but it's really it's really the hard work of being reliable it's the hard work of being somebody that can you know you can count on and it's the hard work in terms of developing that track record where people know that if they deal with you you're not just going to simply take from them all the time no matter who you are and again you know today i have the the pleasure and the opportunity of having a very senior role in a, in a company and you know a lot of them people report to me and count on me and all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day it's still the same interaction no matter who you are in the organization and it's something that i learned even working on the shop floor way back when i still had to get work done that way and that seemed to work yeah i love that are there uh people when you were on the shop floor or along the way whom you encountered and said oh now that's something i really admire and want to emulate uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was having a discussion a week or so ago about that. And still today, I, I really learned so much from other people. And, you know, I think that's also something that I've learned is, is really important is keep learning from other people. I don't, you know, I know a lot of stuff just because I've been around for a long time and I've had a lot of experience. And sometimes I know too much about topics that really I shouldn't know much about. But at the end of the day, I still am fascinated and really intrigued by some of the different perspectives people take, some of the way they, they handle themselves, some of the way they, they speak to other people. You know, I really continue to try to learn and reflect on my own behavior and my own uh, style. And I think that was a learning that I had to make. But ultimately, the most interesting thing is the fact that no matter who in the organization, people bring a lot of different things to the party and you learn what to do and what not to do. And you learn things that really are different from what you do, but are interesting. And maybe, you know, you can apply that and use that. And, and uh, but, it, but it is about learning. And, and I think that's been, uh, I think, one of the things that as I reflect, I still like that more than anything else. Is, is some of that uh, going to be lost with um, the workforce more distributed and remote from one another? I, I think there is a certain loss there. Uh, it's funny because, uh, you know, I've been back in the office and uh, to see somebody physically, it's like, wow, you know, uh, there's a 3D version of you. And, <laughs> and, and, and what we noticed as we started to return was that there's a lot of little things that you can get done when the person is in the same proximity as you. There's a lot of little conversations, little things that get done and can, can get a lot done, you know, physically, where I think in a 2D world, it's a little harder to do that. So uh, I do think that's something that, that we lose in the process, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not something that's a deal killer. It's just kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. It's something I'm very curious about at the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, last question. Uh, what would be, if you had one piece of advice for someone who's still on the shop floor and says, gee, maybe someday uh, I'll be in the corner office, what's uh, your career advice gem? I, I think that, I, I think I would say that, um, first of all, you got to learn as much as you can. I, I think you have to be open-minded to learning. Uh, you have to be open-minded to trying new things. Um, I can tell you, I took jobs and when I took them, I, I had no idea how I was going to do and how I was going to be able to do it, but it was an opportunity. And, you know, you have to, it seems a little trite, but it really was, hey, you know, even if I don't make
make it or if I fail here, then, you know, what I learn in the process will help me somewhere else. And I was open two times in my career. I took a sideways move. Um, I wasn't always vertical. I took a sideways move because I felt like it was a better way to get positioned for opportunity. And so I guess one part of it is being open to learning and opportunity because in that process is the second piece, which is you develop relationships where you can network with people uh, that will help you over the course of your career. And getting different perspectives and being able to uh, broaden your comparison of, of what it takes to get to a certain level. So again, if you're willing to learn, open opportunity, and that brings that network of people you can utilize to help you, um, then I would say that's really, in my mind, the, the best piece of advice I could give everybody. And don't worry if you stub your toe. I mean, you're trying. And, and, and don't worry about, you don't always have to go vertical. One point you, you made that I really want to make sure to bank is even if something doesn't work out, it can be a building block if, yeah. you, if you walk away with, with concrete learning and with, more, with new relationships. And that's, um, that's good, um, a good reason to always conduct yourself in a certain way, right? And always treat people a certain way because, no, exactly. right, even if you see the ship is sinking or, or you're, you're, you're going to get thrown off the ship, you want to you want to preserve your lessons and your relationships. No, exactly. That's critical because it's you know your your working life is an investment, just like many other things, and you know it can generate returns if you continue to to put deposits in there. Excellent, John Morrison, a true indispensable. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Indispensables. Thank you, Bruce. It was my pleasure. In the next episode, I'll be speaking with. My friend and client, Ann Warren, who is the Chief Human Resources Officer for MKC, one of the largest agricultural co-ops in the country. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Any little bit helps to drive us up the charts. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. You can learn more about go-to-ism and the techniques which make indispensable people stand out in their jobs and careers and lives in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, available wherever books are sold. If you're interested in bulk orders, please check the show notes for more information. And finally, you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking, by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com, by following me on Twitter, at Bruce Tulgan, or find me on LinkedIn and Facebook at the links in the show notes. Until next time, stay strong and be indispensable at work.